0: Welcome to the Rumpus Room. Hey
1: everybody, how's it going out there? It's the boys from the Midwest back kicking it here in the Rumpus Room, and let's hit them with the takeaway message of the day. I've been following this Pareto
0: principle to try to get more things done, so I've been just going after 80% of what I think is finished. And then to kind of stop there and ask myself this question of like, is this, is this good enough to send to everybody or do I need to wait, you know, another two to three days to finalize things and finish things up? And I'm finding myself like trying to cut out a lot of this fluff, but I'm moving things way faster. I feel like, you know, like sending emails, I'm just going to send them instead of like, let's dink around with the wording to make it absolutely perfect it's like all right are there any grammatical errors does it get my message across all right let's go and there so i'm trying to just move things a lot faster cuz what i'm realizing for my work is i need to i need to make things move and turn things over a lot faster so that's been a huge just kind of mindset shift i think i've had and i think it helps uh, it helps me understand you know what really needs to get done and is this good enough and some things it's not some things i need to spend more more time on but there are definitely some things
1: that it's like just get it moving somehow and keep it moving so your goal is to finish 80 percent of it instead of really polish yeah. it off and make it but get it good enough and then move
0: in my mind, I have this mindset of like 80% of it is, is, is kind of good enough where it's like before it was like I got to make it 100%. So what I ended up doing is you, you almost procrastinate at the beginning to even start doing things because you're so worried about perfection. And so this has been my way of trying to entice me to just move and instead of focus on like what is a perfect product – thing look like in my head. Uh, And so I've got a new process where I've been actually writing things out more to try to to get things moving. And I just have been finding myself to start things faster and end things quicker. And I think that has helped me with just a mindset shift where I'm not, oh, I got to go do a bunch of research to make sure I find the perfect you know, whatever, cold email template so I get somebody to respond. It's like, well, they don't respond on one email, so they respond on like the seventh one. So I need to just start sending them, you know, just like things like that of like, all right, let's make sure it makes sense. I'm spending a good amount of time on it.
1: But that mindset shift has helped me. I think move things forward faster. Uh, let's jump into the the winter of sickness. I feel like I have had a, I've had to blow my nose for the last like month for sure, and that's not in any way extraordinarily a nuisance. But I cannot remember a time in my life when I've had like a sustained month of sinus sort of you know off and on symptoms for this or that and uh i have a theory that it's this whiplash of all of the COVID isolation coupled with the fact that you know we've got new introductions of viral agents in the mix that are starting to mix with the old you know viral soup that everybody was Mm -hmm. somewhat familiar with um i think we've reached a new uh a new world of infectious, of viral infections, basically. And so um, maybe it truly is. I just have a kid who's in, um, you know, daycare and I'm that that's all it is. And next year, all this is going to go away or something. But um, that's my uh, untested hypothesis at this point.
0: Yeah. So we've heard from, and I'm going through the exact same thing. We've heard from a, few different people before you have kids, they're kinda like, well, be prepared to be sick. That's what one person told us. And of course me being like, I got strong genes, I'll be fine. I thought that was gonna be that, that was gonna be a no go, but I'm quickly re- quickly realizing that is not the case. I have been you know it's the end of January and I think probably since October I've had something we've had something like we were saying it's we've never really had like two or three weekends in a row where we're all, all clear. There's always something going around and that definitely coincides with our little one going to daycare. But I do think it's the soup of like you were describing. We really didn't have any sickness during the COVID years. And now it's all just like coming to a head. And I know that one point there was at least in the local papers, they were talking about don't come in with your child unless they have like these specific symptoms because the ERs were just filling up with like kids with, uh, you know, maybe like a, a, a light, like a flu and a fever, but they weren't really that bad, which I feel like we've been, we've been going through the exact same thing. And I, I, completely agree it is this thing that we've been all staying at home avoiding getting you know seeing each other avoiding large gathering places where we probably were all passing stuff around and getting minor you know immunity to certain to certain things and now we just have no immunity so it just feels like we kind of have stepped into like a fire pit of sickness that we just have said it's just kind of exhausting and the hard thing about having kids and being sick is like you have to take care of your kid when you're sick and so that's that just you know like you you can't just go and like lay in bed for 12 hours (laughs) that's not really an option so it just kind of adds more recovery time for you and then it's just a lot harder and then it's like you know just juggling that with work is kind of it's newer
1: problems that we're going through trying to figure out how to how to navigate it? So this is extremely clickbaity, and so I'm jumping sections a little bit here, but uh, it's relevant because I was on Reddit and I <laughs> clicked on this. Um, I clicked on this uh, this link by this doctor, Doctor John Campbell, and I did a little research into him. He was actually a nurse for many a year and um now he's a nurse educator so he probably got his phd or something like that uh but he has 2.65 million Mm. subscribers on youtube um extremely extremely popular and he is pushing like the most questionable content about the vaccine and covid and so i saw this video where Mm. he was referencing A Cleveland Clinic study where their findings were that the more COVID jabs people had, the more likely they were to get infected with the virus. And um, (laughs) (laughs) I haven't read the study. I absolutely should. Uh, Because I've seen different headlines that suggest that the main finding of the study was that if you have had the COVID virus, a COVID vaccine is worthless. So that's essentially the title is like COVID vaccines are not needed for people who have been affected with the virus. Um, Which is amazing first of all that somebody has produced this report uh and it's the cleveland clinic and you know this was posted in june of 2021 so Hmm. how has this gone so on it's not peer reviewed so that's probably the issue is people are just saying oh what's you know not actually a a paper that we can pick up but um this guy john campbell definitely gets views off of his inflammatory COVID opinions and his entire channel is all suggesting that like there's collusion and whatever and um he even said that uh the injections before they were uh approved they only had trials in mice so they had 10 mice who had increased like spike protein uh, from the vaccines, which they thought would provide some level of immunity or uh, improved response to the COVID vax- to the COVID virus. And then obviously they didn't do any human trials because of the urgency t- to need to get this to individuals. So he's saying some of those underbelly facts and statistics that are not part of the general narrative. And it's been really fascinating to hear those. And I'm telling our audience to not believe a thing that they hear on this podcast because you know without doing the independent research yourself because uh, that you just can't in today's world like take anything that you hear in the media for any sort of face value whatsoever or for any any sort of truth. Yeah, and
0: I think your point the point that I kind of take away is We have to, you have to question the information that you're reading, no matter where it comes from. So, I read a book on the pharmaceutical industry, and they, you know, short version, very simplified, very detailed book, a lot of information is they have the peer reviewed journals are basically bought like bought out by these pharma pharmacy or pharmaceutical companies so to get studies published you almost need so they are controlling like the the farthest up of the food chain so you know that that gets you to question the validity of a lot of these studies you know something the information of like the the people that are doing the peer review don't get the raw data they only get the data provided by pharmaceutical companies so there's a lot of bias wherever you look on both sides of the coin and so that's where you start to read these things and it's not necessarily like everybody's evil can't trust anything it's more to me what I've taken away from a lot of it is you need to do your own research and just understand that Wherever you're reading something, it has a lens that they're going to try to spin some type of narrative. And I would gar- almost guarantee my my short life experience, it has to do with money. Yeah. There's going to be Surprise. some type of incentive <laughs> yeah. monetarily sitting on the other side of whatever you're reading. You know, whether it's I'm reading a book and the guy's going to try to get me to do his coaching calls right after mm-hmm. that. You know, it's like there's something coming for a lot of this thing. Or you watch a YouTube video, it's free, but then there's an ad for half of it that tries to get you to sign up for its SEO, whatever Mm -hmm. thing it is, you know, like the SEO masterclass. So what you're what you've got to realize, and I think it's the same way with the news, is they're trying to sell something. There's always some type of thing that goes on. You know, and as I get into more of my you know, later years, it's like, if you just, you can still read this information and it's not like you need to just sit in a hole. I mean, you might be happier if you do some of that stuff, but you can still read it. But I've tried to take this approach of, you know, where is this information coming from? What is this telling me? Where would they possibly have some type of incentive? So it's just trying to take a little different approach. Um, And once the more information I've been reading, it's just like, people have incentives and that's okay. It's like you and I have an incentive. Everybody's got an incentive. That's fine. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. I think the, the YouTube in particular, the YouTube entertainer revenue generation model to me is getting really interesting. Um, have you heard of the beast burger? Yes. Um, Mm -hmm. So there's another podcast uh, that I occasionally listen to. It's a Barstool Sports one. It's called Pardon My Take. They have also launched what they call a something about a PMT cheese steak. And for those of you who don't know what these hmm. are, are, these are menu items that they typically partner with, like an Uber Eats or a takeout place. And then um, restaurants sign up to cook this particular meal. So even though there's no Mr. Beast restaurant, you can order the Mr. Beast burger from any other restaurant's menu that has elected to carry it and, you know, has the recipe and the supplies or whatever is necessary to make this thing. And I think that's such an interesting idea to... Mm -hmm. commoditize the food production component of it i mean you the restaurant is literally just you know hands making food like you could you could decide to start your own restaurant just selling mr beast burgers on uber eats and i'm sure you'd make money out of your kitchen and um you live behind the brand that mr beast has built and it's just really fascinating Uh, i see tons of I expect a lot of this will occur in the future, but, um, this is the, in my opinion, you know, sort of the first step of the first wave. I think obviously there's been like buy our product that is we're sponsoring, but this is one step further in terms of embedding yourself in a value chain using your brand. Well, and this is I think
0: what like the Kardashians kind of did first. And I think it was somebody who said they look at who who tries to sell them ads and pay them the most money and then they just go ahead and create a company that does that. So they're analyzing, you know, like makeup basically was a big thing that was trying to sell on their channels and so they said, "Well, why are we giving you know, whatever. We'll take a million dollars, but instead of a million, we could maybe make a hundred million by just creating the company and getting the value out of, you know, our our chain. So they are going upstream. And a lot of businesses, I mean, you think of like Amazon. Amazon did that with their cloud computing. It's like, well, we're paying a bunch of money to store let's let's see if we can go do that. And I think certain businesses are finding this is very valuable is to kind of go up the chain and what are we spending a bunch of money on and why don't we just do that yeah you know we're we're a big customer of ours and so i think that's kind of the model these influencers are starting to have but you know a question i've had and i've talked about this with a couple different people is like do you think the influencer game is gonna go away soon because it just is getting so
1: no, absolutely not commercialized nope. it is it just feels like to world. me it's the new world uh and i'll get into that in a second but i want to um comment uh shoot uh i just lost it um Oh, we were talking, I've said this on the podcast before, but since it's so contextually relevant, I have to mention it again. I was on this, uh, Reed Hoffman masters of scale webinar and, uh, they had the founder of Stripe on and the founder of Stripe Reed asked him, he was like, what are you most excited about in business today? And the whole conference is about, you know, machine learning, AI advanced, you know, kind of bioengineering, um, and then they're talking about psychedelics for mental health. But if you if you ask anybody from Silicon Valley what's hot, it's you know it's advanced uh, machine learning, it's AI, it's these gen, you know kind of CRISPR type genetic, um, and all these kind of flashier things. And what this guy from Stripe said is he's most excited about vertical integration. And what you're talking about is exactly that, is vertical integration Mm -hmm. and buying more of your value chain. And I think you're completely right about that as being a future. And um, that's not all that different to the Mr. Beast Burger. The Mr. Beast Burger just uh, democratizes the production. And he's like, he's, I mean, he's really, what's interesting is you're almost assuming no risk in that model. Like, Think about the risk that. Yeah, you are no zero risk. risk. You don't have to put a. You don't have to. You don't have to buy. You're not putting up restaurants. Any of the ingredients. Yeah, it's all. It's yeah. it's you're making a recipe. You're having some quality verification control. You're literally just building off the brand, and then having some capac- some ability to maintain the integrity of your product, which is very minimal, um, considering you don't have any. You're basically coming to a, biz, a restaurant saying, I have a paying
0: customer. Mm-hmm. How much are they worth mm-hmm. to you? How much, how much, will you know, what's, what's, how can we value this customer for you? I'm getting a customer you probably aren't going to get. What's it worth to
1: you? And it it's probably not unlikely that at some point he does the warby parker pivot of well the beast burger does so well let's try a beast restaurant and see how that goes but it's really fascinating well and then they know what markets to
0: hit you know they've got a bunch of data it's not like oh we're gonna try out you know phoenix because we think people eat burgers in phoenix it's like no we sell a shitload of burgers in phoenix so we're just gonna put up a site there and then you know and it's it's a very data
1: centric advantageous model to super low risk way use. less risky and like just so much more intelligent in terms of entering the market like there couldn't be a better way that you would build a brand if you were to try and you know enter a market with not having any risk and no physical assets no invest very few investment costs so i'm fascinated by that idea but um it's like books. It's the thing, same thing with the books. People are
0: basically writing blogs like James Clear. They write a very successful blog and then they just do a book deal and they got all these people mm-hmm. that will buy these books. So they essentially have all, you know, it's like very similar, like testing out the market to say, do these concepts work? And what I think I listened to a podcast with him and he's like, I started on Twitter just seeing like what would catch fire. And so they test on Twitter, then they move it up to a blog post. And then those blog posts go, you know, and it just then it creates a narrative and then you got your book. So it's like, you know, I think a lot of people are starting to use more data-centric approaches rather than like, I'm gonna go raise a two million dollars at a fund and you know, or I'm gonna go sign a two hundred thousand dollar book deal, but I don't have you know, like I have to sell them on this concept and I you know, it's like it's such a different model now.
1: I but think. here's why influencers are here to stay is because what the entire that whole thing is predicated on is people's attention and consuming people's attention and turning their attention into a valuable service. And what you need to do that is a cap somebody's captive attention and a bunch of data about what they prefer. And you better believe that if you're clicking on any of the ads from that channel, I mean, YouTube... I mean, the the extent with which the tracking exists across content platforms and consumption p- platforms is i don't think anybody i mean we we know nothing we know the tip of the iceberg really and so that's what's going to happen is people are going to continue to get value out of these products and so there's only going to be more incentive to get better at being an influencer and get better at having, turning your audience into a product f- market fit for somebody else. Like the machine is just sharpening its knives to do that. Like it's just getting ready. You know, <laughs> I mean we're, we are it's early days. I think um, there's, I just don't cause like you look at the establishment, television's dead, television think of the old mediums television radio movies i I, not so much movies but those the new game is content consumption content monetization for sure and what's necessary something to watch you know that's why people are behaving like absolute crazy people online to get likes and views and um We're we're in the early days, like I said, but uh, man, I think think it's only going to get far more intense.
0: Yeah, we were talking about, you know, like where does the trust come from? And I think that's something, you know, as you were kind of describing... You know, people that are going to be very good at this content game will figure that out. We'll figure out how to monetize trust. Because one of the things we are talking about is you are starting to feel a lot of influencers that are really product centric and become just like basically a commercial. And these people are getting there's a bunch of that right now. And I think those people are going to fall off like Mr. Beast. Different story. That guy knows how to create basically a very engaging video. I listen to a podcast. I don't know how much money he spends on just his thumbnail, but it's like hundreds of thousands of dollars on thumbnail Mm -hmm. experts to try to get you to click and to, you know, perfectly A B to make sure they know how to get the optimized emotional reaction with the title. You know, but it's like, there's just a complete engine behind that tiny ass video on your screen is just like a, it's, it's like a, it's like a weapon Mm -hmm. to try to get you to click on it. It's just insane at the amount of energy. And so we were just saying there's a bunch of like people that are doing it really well and they're going to be winners but there's a bunch of people that are just trying and failing basically
1: yeah uh, and i i think that there will those people will push themselves out of the market and be replaced with really good people and it shows you right now that there's fat you know there's fat on in the marketplace that mm-hmm. they're able to get by on and just imagine how competitive yeah. it will be uh, and the minuscule differences between People competing for the same audience, it's gonna become a bloodbath for attention. (laughs) And it starts with kids. So um let's get ready. (laughs) Well,
0: that's why Google has been trying to jam their devices into schools for free for 20 years. They're already ahead of all that Mm -hmm. game. Mm -hmm. You know, there's just I think that's gonna that's gonna be like our big war front with our children is how to get them to not be like zombies and just buying machines how do you get them to stay away from that phone and that TV screen or at least not away from it know how to navigate these these things because if they don't they're going to just there's like a very there's like a mind you're very close to being just like a mindless person if you're just stuck on your device all the time like you don't have conversations with people you know you become a consumer and you're not a producer so you really are like driving minimal value in the world so it's like that's not how you create value community is like you just start becoming a consumer Mm -hmm. and that's that's like a really dangerous thing I think and you when you think about like raising children how do you get them to create value rather than just be kind of vehicles of consumption which is
1: you know without a doubt with that no. gets you nervous even talking about it <clears throat> for sure um we had uh talked about the the kardashians so i want to bring up an adjacent uh topic andrew tate um and i th- i think his explosion onto the scene um is very similar to kylie jenner's in a way uh, and when we were talking about it early i think you eloquently pinpointed the um rationale for why these people become so popular and it's because they represent essentially like the shadow masculine and the shadow feminine is is that accurate yeah so what their i think
0: their rise is like we we secretly want to say certain things that they're saying. And it's not like, you know, we're, we are a very complicated being, I think. And I think the shadow side of us is really attracted to what Andrew Tate is saying. And I actually don't know much about what he's saying. I just know he kind of like runs around and says like, get money, you know, know, I don't know what, you know, standard like pound your chest type of things but he's very focused on like i'd say masculinity Mm -hmm. which is something that i think a has been pushed down in the last i don't know 15 years as long as you know for a lot of our i'd say upbringing masculinity has been some of these you know like it's it's bad to be masculine and so he comes out as this other image and i think gains a lot of Traction, 'Cause there is the shadow side of all of us that's kind of interested in what he's saying. Yeah, and Kylie can then Kylie Jenner is like the woman version of just like what what you said.
1: Plastic, you know, every part of her is is perfect. You know, made by man made. Yeah. Man made perfect too, by standards you know, of it's... like the pictures, the content that she's putting out around. She looks yeah. like the perfect person, if you will. Which I think is the other kind of shadow desire of women, which is to be perfect, is to be the penultimate object of fascination, desire. desire yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and mm-hmm. so while she's completely fabricated, yeah. she's also embodying that thing, and she's making billions of dollars because of it. So yeah, I mean, yep. I, well, and I, go ahead.
0: I just think they've both stepped onto, you know, something that, you know, as in our, in our, what we'll just say social, there's like an online social, you should be doing this, but then (laughs) think about your computer is nobody's watching what you click on or what you do. So it's like, there is a whole other side of the business that I think, gets pushed down and i think they're starting to realize there's a big rise and i think that's a lot of like what trump based his his running policy on is like there is a side that's not following the narrative and it has to deal with like this shadow side of like what what is getting pushed down eventually will rise back up in some way you know former fashion
1: well i think that's an interesting parallel to um And again, we're, you know, young white men, so can't go to podcasts without mentioning Jordan Peterson. But uh, Jordan Peterson just released his uh, latest Joe Rogan episode, or Joe Rogan just released the latest Jordan Peterson conversation. And um, it was pretty fascinating. Um, One of the points that I think is really interesting is how he's talking about how the climate Uh, if you, climate activism, really, obviously everybody's aware of the virtue signaling happening. What they're not aware of, though, is how the World Economic Forum, a lot of the powers at B, are pushing this narrative about how we need less people on the world, we need less consumption, blah, blah, blah. I mean, everybody sort of understands the hypocrisy of them all flying in on their private jets, but for some reason, nobody's really taking it head on. He goes not only head on, but he charges forth in the direction so deep in this episode that um, he says a lot of stuff that just make you think twice about what's happening in the world. And you know, if one of the other salient points uh, was that the. <sighs> you know, these people talking about reduce consumption and whatever, like if you even leave the data up out of it for a second, you can think about like rising energy prices, for example, um, rising energy prices is the, is the thing that is the most destructive to poor people. So, um, you know, Mm -hmm. if people are talking about carbon taxes or other ways to reduce our output of energy, by getting off of coal for example and increase the price of energy i mean he's just calling into question like if people are saying who should stop consuming and who should you know who's overpopulated on the planet um the when you put it in action who it's going to impact are poor people and um it's amazing that the Democratic base, who historically has advocated for you know middle class lower income um, has just taken up the sword so much on this issue and um makes me think twice uh, kind of about the whole thing and and he he puts forth a solution that he's trying to tr- trying to organize a greater vision for the world, which is interesting to hear him think about it but um. If any of those ideas are of interest at all, I would highly recommend a listen to the latest episode.
0: Yeah, and you always know that there's going to be a good episode when those two guys jump on, mostly because Jordan's probably prepped and's got his machine gun of facts that he's going to spill in a very eloquent. And he just, the way he, I was telling you this earlier, but I think, what I like about him is he kind of gets to the crux of the issue very quickly that opens you up and just says like, yeah, that is really what it's about. And I think that ability he has is a reason why his following is just so large because he can kind of break points down. Um, in one point that he talked about was how people are using uh, things like I support green movements as social equity when they really have to do no work so they like post that they're you know green focused and you know you can do all of these things without having to actually do much and how he's just talking about how social capital is such a big thing and how social media has made this into like really cheap dopamine hits and i think you all know it when you see it with other people, mm-hmm. you can kind of feel when that's happening inside of you. And it really you know, equates to not a lot of work and a lot more talking and spewing out certain narratives, which, you know, he just kind of hits it on the head, which, you know, it's nice to hear people that are digging into that because there is, there's always two sides of the coin. And so we do need people to challenge, I think, some of these some of these assumptions that <clears throat> that's the way we need to go.
1: It's pretty hairy, hilarious to listen to Joe Rogan ask, like, an extraordinarily open-ended question. And Jordan will talk for 10 minutes straight. Like, he will just go <laughs> yep. from one thought to the other, to the other, to the other. I love when he brings up the biblical stories, I think it's so fascinating for him to be so deeply rooted in um, these biblical stories that come back and the messages are just so palpable today or how he applies them today. It's its, it's quite impressive. One of the other points, I'll, yep, I'll that's, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, the biblical
0: stories for us, are I mean, the way he describes it, in terms of like culture how these biblical stories basically shape how we behave culturally and how that's you know when to, when i've started to listen to some of these stories you do see it and you can see where it comes from so i i that has something that that's been something that i've been trying to learn more about
1: too is just what what that means? You know, last point I'll make on this was the uh, he made this comment about like diversify yourself such that you can't be taken out for living your most authentic life. So I love that idea as well because um many of us don't have a diverse enough income stream or um you know sphere of influence to be able to really mm. probably stand from the top of a mountain and say what needs to be said. I mean, many people are have restrictions on themselves, so I think that is a direction I want to go in terms of just diversifying myself such that you can't be taken out. And then he it says a story about a, a Canadian doctor who has challenged the system, and it sounds like Jordan Peterson is going to take on his professional society And he asked this MD in Canada, he was like, hey, are you ready to do this? Because I know you've been encountering the same BS as I. And the doc said back to him, he's like, hey, I'm not ready to do that yet. And so there is a time and a place for those types of things. And um, it takes a lot of time and energy to be in that situation. He's very much there. Um, But I think it's a a powerful place to be in, in a place where, you know, you're not financially at risk or otherwise for um, saying what's on your mind. Yeah, I think that's really uh it's really good. So he's he's uh he's a good listener. Totally worth it. Should we hit the uh segments of the week? Yep. Let's do it. All right, I'll I'll start with clickbait. I already did some of uh some clickbait of the week, but I'll hit one other one. Um Do you ever watch the show Gold Rush on Discovery? I don't, but I have an idea what it's about. It's about the gold rush in the Canadian Klondike. Uh, that's <laughs> been something that has been mindless and interesting to me. Uh, you know, people going and, and doing mining in the middle of nowhere, and um, it's just fascinating how they uh, how they work, what they produce, how they interact with each other, how they find the gold. Uh, it's it's a funny it's a funny thing. I love the kind of cultural. Uh, education that it provides on an industry that um, obviously now with gold prices as they are is also becoming quite a bit more lucrative. So that's been something that uh, has caught my attention on the the interwebs. So I've been
0: following, you know, I I tangentially, you look at sports just to kind of give my brain a little bit of a break during the day and sometimes at night. And I've been noticing how the... PGA tour is starting to really play up this live drama even more and more. And now they're just every little interaction has become like a big blow up and they are just using very clickbaity type headlines and people are now in riffs and they're mad at each other. And it's just amazing to see it kind of turn into this reality TV show almost. And it's like one of, I'd say the most, boring sports in terms of like viewing and watching and they're trying to turn it into like a nascar you know like just like create this type of drama which has been very un-pga to watch yeah i mean it's like they the last you know five ten years they you can't say certain words on air you know they just like oh these guys are good that's their tagline which is like the most bland thing ever and they just like you can only talk about how awesome the pga tour is you know and they they do a bunch for charity which i do think they do a pretty good job but it's like that it's turning into this like just drama filled real housewives of the pga tour so it's just kind of like oh this is it's just getting to be a lot so that's been my quick bait of the week just noticing how that's been just changing and it's getting exhausting well
1: there's there, that means there's only one safe haven left uh, for any sort of non-emotional sporting review. And that appears to be tennis, except sans the whole Djokovic COVID thing. That was obviously not. Mm. But like tennis and golf, trying to come up with two more boring sports. Um, and they're even getting on the clickbait train. Uh, the mm. world we live in, right? Got to sell tickets. Gotta sell buttons, or sell sell, sell clicks. clicks buttons, fingers, fingers on buttons. That's really what you're trying to do these days. Fingers on buttons. Seriously.
0: Uh, how about so the lightning strike? I can sure. go first. Um, I've been really trying to understand what my own limits are on myself, and I think it gets in the way of me doing certain things, thinking certain ways. So I've been trying to break down what's been holding me back. And I just think that mindset gives me a little more ownership over, over my you know, agency, over what I can do. And so I'm trying to really dig into where that comes from, whether it's, we talked about scarcity mindset in the last few episodes and uh, it's just things like that i'm trying to understand where my limits are and what they're causing me to do whether that's you know not raising money or raising money or not calling this customer or you know it's just certain behaviors that i do every single day what's driving that so that's been something that's helped me
1: think a little clear more clearly on certain things excellent uh, for me, I think I touched on this briefly last time, but I'll I'll say it again, which is um, I went on a spiritual quest, and um, one of the things that was extremely salient for me is how close death can be all of the time, um, and I've even seen various different stories of people with cancer or car accidents losing a loved one and they've been so incredibly gut wrenching to me as of recent Um, Hmm. I've felt so much more connected to the realness of death and it's quite scary to be thinking about but it's also giving me more insight into the importance of being alive and being engaged in life and maximizing Hmm. your time on earth because life can be so fragile. It could be so fragile. Um, And I haven't really, I would say fully baked this idea. It's just something that's been very much on my psyche and more of an emotional response. And it's uncharacteristic for um, my upbringing, my social circle, we don't, you know, people don't talk about death a lot, but, um, it's been on my mind and I'm trying not to be afraid of it. Uh, and so having these lightning strike, the lightning strike of like, you know, the, the ever presence of death and the importance that it is, is—is just something that's on my mind and, uh, I'm going to keep exploring.
0: Well, isn't that kind of the first step, and changes the awareness? So just understanding it. Absolutely. Um, but that's really an interesting, really an interesting thing to think about, and I think we can maybe hit more on that in our next episode around thinking through that because that's something I've been thinking about too. So it's it's definitely
1: it definitely helps you try to experience life a little. A little more so well and then you say something like you and i if we are extraordinarily lucky we are a third through the ride that's crazy yeah <laughs> that, that's first period's over man <laughs> You know.
0: yeah if you see this calendar i've got uh this basically is like a 90 year life mm. and i bait you like every single week you take a little box tries to help you know it's been the goal is to try to help me realize you know understand that time is realized so that's yep third mhm
1: first on a good day yeah. <clears throat> yeah um hitting it with some chicken soup I'll lead it off here uh this has also been a little bit scary for me as a dad but um my l- My love for my child has grown so significantly that it's just scary, honestly, because I think about like my parents or grandparents, and I think about the capacity for love that one could have. And, um, it's personally, it's frightening. Um, because like when he was first born, I, I don't I didn't feel as strong of a connection just because like, I don't think we've had a relationship. Obviously there's like an inherent connection and an inherent love. Um, but it's deepening as our relationship grows and it's, it feels really, really good. Like it's more palpable. It's more, it's, it's much more tangible today than it was six Mm. months ago. And, um, it's terrific. It's amazing. It's, it's fantastic. It's also, you know, terrifying <laughs> to think about like, you know, mm. cause then <laughs> loss is obviously the other thing around there that, you know, you, you just become, a, you become aware of and, uh, not to suggest that it is going to happen or whatever, like God, God willing it, it does not. But, um, it's been something that I've been feeling so good. I've been feeling so, connected and so deeply appreciative of him and our relationship that like it's been it's been really amazing so that's it well that's that's awesome to hear i think
0: that's uh you'll as people will probably notice our chicken soups usually are around our children as we are starting to realize how important they are and it's just they shape you in such a, a such a way, you're almost not even ready for. Um, but my chicken soup has been learning the voice of my child. He just learning the intonations, and he's been mimicking a lot of words that we say. And so we have this little telephone that's like a super old telephone that's got the little dial thing on it and he's been walking up to it, picking up the phone and saying like, hello. And it just every single time I just burst out laughing. Cause the way he says it is he like mimics you, but then he puts his little spin on it some of the times. And it's just really funny to listen to his, basically like him coming into his voice yeah. and how that voice is starting to gain its own personality and sound you know you can kind of catch what is he going to sound like when he gets older it's just it's really fun to listen to that voice developing and i think the mimicking is super funny and so we've been getting him to say a lot of people's uh names in the family and you are adam Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's that's what he says uh but he's been saying names and it's just fun to hear him get excited about saying names and mimicking and just the whole voice thing has been really fun to see
1: well if you can get a video of that telephone answer that'd be fun to see all right we'll get a video of it because he he does it like 20 times at the end of the day it's so funny (laughs) (laughs) he knows how to get the laughs that's good he gets mom and dad all charged up That's good. Well, that's all we got for you today, folks. Tune in next week when we'll be back kicking it here in the Rumpus Room.